VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You are listening to The Bird Calls. For more breakdowns on the Pelicans, including interviews with coaches, journalists, and opposing experts, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. Hey, what's up, Pels fans? Welcome to the Bird Calls Podcast. I'm your host, Preston Ellis, and today we are getting you set for Game 4. And to do it, we've got help from the editor-in-chief to thebirdrights.com, Mr. Ali Cosell. How was practice, sir? It was good. Um, Everybody was nice and loose. And you know what? I think it's just a big, nice relief that you got that monkey off the back. Although I don't think the Pelicans ever showed, you know, before getting that win last night of, uh, you know, showing any kind of nerves or doubt or anything like that. It's still, you know, it's just good, basically, to move on from that series three years ago. Everybody can feel it. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time. But the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Yeah, definitely. The Pelicans had won two of the previous last 28 matchups with the Golden State Warriors. The The last home game that they defeated the Warriors, other than the one in 2015 in April, something that everybody remembers, was back in 2010. So certainly understand what Ali's talking about. KD and the Warriors were 22-2 and two, uh, in the playoffs. So major win for the Pelicans. Joining him now from the Locked On Warriors, the host, Mr. Aliko Carter. How are you recovering from last night's game, sir? Oh, that was a tough one. But the brilliance of Anthony Davis, you know, you're just watching a, a an absolute megastar and uh, that kind of absolves and, and kind of uh, gives it a little bit of a, of a nice ring, you know. I really like where this conversation is going already. Go ahead and plug your handle. It's spelled K-O-G-I-T-A-R-E. How would you pronounce that, sir? That's cogitare. It's actually a Latin term. It means to think. And uh, it usually starts with a C, but my name's Aliko. I put a K on it. And uh, that's that's where it came from. It's pretty simple. Very cool. I clearly wasn't thinking. I was afraid that if I if I just jumped right on it and dived in there, I was going to embarrass myself. But again, you can follow him there. Follow him at Locked On Warriors and, of course, at Ali Cosell. And we're going to start with Ali because he's kind of my boss. Let's talk about the atmosphere, sir. You already proceeded to tell us about what the, the win means to the Pelicans and to their their frame of mind. Uh, Anthony Davis, Drew Holidays, these guys haven't been able to do what you just said they did. And they did it in the fashion they needed to at home as Alvin Gentry uh predicted following game two he said those guys handled their business now it's time for us to handle ours but with that being said 
not just the environment for the players, the environment for the fans, the the waving of the towels, the red shirts, something that we really haven't seen. Uh, I, I think Kevin's got an article up on thebirdrights.com right now about New Orleans finally becoming a basketball city. What did it feel like to be in the Smoothie King Center last night? I felt like I was honestly in a different city because you described it aptly. Uh, the towel waving. And, and you know what? I watched the rebroadcast because uh, I was up. I had uh, work to do. And you know what? That adrenaline was pumping last night. So watching the game just start with the towel waving, uh, it was just pretty much the same feeling as you were in the arena. You know, you're just not used to seeing a New Orleans basketball game, let alone every seat being filled, let alone all the fans are screaming, cheering, and just basically being active. Just a great, but in a highly unusual experience. But Preston, man, I'm certain that we can all get used to this. Yeah, and while you could you could tell the collective energy was one of anxiety, but also excitement, you know, really believing that the, the Pelicans have overcome adversity all season long. It seems like nothing can keep them down at this point. But one team that was getting them down, of course, the Golden State Warriors in decisive fashion in game one specifically. Aliko, the Pelicans push the pace. They like to push the pace. The Warriors just simply do it better. They defeated the Pelicans in nearly every category by going small with Andre Iguodala playing the point. And in crunch time situations in game two, of course, they reinstilled uh, Steph Curry into that lineup and they let Trey man the five and it was highly effective. However, in game three, we saw Steve Kerr toggle with the starting lineup again, inserting JaVale McGee, who only played nine minutes, but his nine min- minutes were pivotal because it's when the Pelicans got out to their biggest leads in the third quarter, of course, a 10-2 and then following a 28-9 run. And specifically in the first quarter where both teams kind of come came out sloppy with the Pelicans with four of their own turnovers, but it still gave the Pelicans the edge they needed to space the floor and get three three-pointers from Solomon Hill. What did you think of that decision? Yeah, I thought the decision was definitely a Steve Kerr decision. He wants to, you know, with a 2-0 lead, he's not going to put all his cards on the table by starting the what we call the Hamptons Five. That's Curry, Andre, uh, Draymond, Kevin Durant, and Clay Thompson. It's just not that serious of a moment yet. And uh, what... JaVale McGee offers against Anthony Davis. Theoretically, obviously, it didn't really work out uh, in the long run. Like you said, he only played nine minutes. But what he offers is the ability to hang with Anthony Davis athletically and the ability to slip screens on the offensive end and get easy points. Now, that didn't really work out, uh, you know, in the game plan. The Warriors did end up going small, playing small most of the game. Even David West only got seven minutes. But uh, Kavon Looney has been absolutely pivotal and um, playing about 20 to 25 minutes a game. I, you know, I just I can't say enough about what he brings his defense on Anthony Davis. Obviously, Davis was 15 of 27, but he did it without fouling. And that is so incredibly important. Davis only three free throw attempts. I definitely want to follow up on that with Ali. JaVale McGee was supposed to do uh, one of two things, one of which was rebounding. And it turns out that Anthony Davis got 18 rebounds on the night. That's more than Draymond Green, Kevin Durant, and JaVale McGee combined. So too, uh, just a little bit slower than a guy like Kevon Looney or, of course, Andre Iguodala. So it really affected the spacing, and the Pelicans were able to get 10 first-half three-pointers, and that's the most by far in the postseason so far. They'd only managed 13 altogether in Game 1 and Game 2 against the Warriors. Talk about the decision, uh, Ali. Were you surprised? Uh, like Aliko just said, Kevon Looney has been so instrumental in slowing down Anthony Davis. He was only 5 of 14 in the first half, and he needed some of this to get going. And, of course, he exploded for 14 points in the third quarter. But was it a bit peculiar to you? Yeah, I was a little bit surprised. But then again, if you realize it's Steve Kerr, who 
honestly likes to keep I'm, we're learning this uh, because finally we're uh, matched up against him in the long-term playoff series is the fact that he does like to make these adjustments where he keeps opponents on their toes. And so I, I like I said, I was a little bit surprised that he went in a different route altogether because let's face it, going smaller was really highly successful earlier. And I guess like Aliko said, I guess you probably don't want to run that, you know, that starting unit lineup into the ground. You're still working Curry back. So why not give a different look, especially add some more size because even today, after practice, Kerr talked about how their bench is full of big guys that they really can't use, especially after game three's result. But before that, you know, they had three big guys. And so he probably wanted to get them some run. Why not ex- uh, or have them expend some energy on Anthony Davis instead of Draymond, instead of Durant or whoever, doing it for like close to 40 minutes a game. So it kind of makes sense. But you know what? It completely backfired. But I want to be fair to JaVale. It all honestly wasn't on him. I honestly think that their game plan is what really put them in the hole. Because in rewatching that game, what the Pelicans did is they were ultra, ultra aggressive. Now, what that meant is not only did they push the ball, not only was Ray John Rondo looking to probe and find the open guys, the fact that Golden State, um, like they had in the previous two games, they were really playing off of certain guys really killed them. Because when Solomon Hill came into that game, uh, he completely changed the whole dynamic, the whole momentum, really, for the rest of that game. Uh, Miritich had just come off making the three, but then the next was it then solo Hill, I think nailed two of them. Anthony Davis had one then solo finish it with a third three of the first quarter. And as we all know, Hill has been really, really bad offensively, you know, since he's come back from his hamstring injury, but you know what? He was left so wide open, like on his first three, I looked at that play over and over Draymond followed kind of Solomon Hill through a cut through the lane, but he pretty much stopped as soon as he got out of the paint. As for a solo, of course, continued all the way up to the three-point line. So when Solo caught that, you know, he had all the time in the world to shoot it. Draymond didn't even make a move out to him. And you know what? He splashed home what honestly was, you know, as easy of a shot as you're going to get. And let's face it, they're NBA players. Um, these guys, even though they're not the greatest shooters when you look at their stats, a lot of these guys who can shoot from that far, they're going to make that shot when they're given all that time in the world. And I feel like by them doing that, uh, really backfired because, you know, later we saw, for instance, they didn't really get out on Nicola a couple times. Drew Holiday, they tried to go under a couple screens, and he burned them. And, of course, AD running up and shooting one from the top of the key. So the Pelicans going 10 of 16 from three-point range in the first half. And this is a very, you know, this is a below-average three-point shooting team. But to give them those opportunities, I felt like made it a lot easier. And uh, they just really took advantage of it. So I'm expecting Steve Kerr to honestly make some adjustments. There's no way that they can continue to lay off like, say, three or four or five guys anymore because that really killed them in game three. Let's follow that up with Aliko. Would you expect an adjustment from Steve Kerr or do you expect JaVale McGee in the starting lineup once again? I would expect an adjustment and I would expect that adjustment to be uh, unexpected. You know, if there's one thing, like Ali said, that you can uh, count on from Steve Kerr, it's that he wants to do something that media not see coming uh you know so i don't even try to predict anymore i you know i've been we went through so many starting lineups with injuries over the course of the season and on my podcast i would predict you know who's going to start tonight and i I, yeah maybe i had a success rate of 30 percent maybe and uh you know that's that's the guy the kind of guy that steve kerr is and the team is so deep that you can really 
insert and plug in different parts. It's so interchangeable. And that's what the way the, the roster was built by Bob Myers and uh, the brain trust. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if you see a Jordan Bell in there. Now, Jordan Bell hasn't played a lot of minutes in this playoffs, but he's one of those guys that's on the end of the bench that he can really count on, like when Quinn Cook came in and just lit up teams. And, you know, the Warriors went, you know, uh, 7 and 10 in their last 17 games, lots of injuries. But Quinn Cook was very, very good. And uh, he's now not even playing at all because Stephen Curry is back. And we have other players like that. So I would expect Jordan Bell, who started a number of games, to uh, be at least a bigger part of this particular game, game four on Sunday. Uh, And then you might see more David West as well. It's tough because he's not quite as mobile as a Jordan Bell or a Kavon Looney, but he provides steadiness on the offensive end and a kind of spark plug and and fire that mirrors Draymond's. And people just really, really respect him. Also, a very, very um, beloved player in New Orleans could affect the way the crowd kind of gets into it. I agree with both of you. The crowd in New Orleans was absolutely raucous. And uh, I mean, through the television, of course. And uh, you, you guys really brought it you know uh oracle's been bringing it so that's been a really really awesome part of this playoffs but yeah jordan bell is my prediction for game four i think what you were actually saying there aliko uh you said steve kerr is going to do the unexpected and he's going to go against what the media is saying so what you're actually predicting is that patrick mccaw who was just uh cleared to return to on-court work uh, might find his way <laughs> into the starting lineup in game four uh we anticipate that he might be back at some point in this series, should they, should it go to uh, an extended seven games or at something like that. But with that being said, uh, not going to pretend to predict it. Jordan Bell would be a, a compelling change there. Let's let's keep it with Aliko, and I'm going to play a bit of a game back here. Instead of asking you about Draymond Green, Aliko, I'm going to ask you about Rajon Rondo and then get Ali's take on Draymond Green because these players are so similar in their effect and the passion and the intensity that they bring to their respective franchises. You can very clearly see how an outside franchise uh, – a competitive franchise could hate either one of them while their role proves pivotal to their own team. Both these guys are kind of the quarterbacks of their defense and their offense. You saw those clips on ESPN of Rashawn Rondo uh, yelling out communication, telling AD to talk. After the game, these guys uh, continued jawing at each other. Rashawn Rondo said he talks a lot of ish. Uh, He said that's part of it. I don't think it's anything more than that. We're battling on the court. He's a great competitor. I just try to match his intensity. Of course, there was that clip of him stepping on Draymond Green's toe and then pretending as if it was an accident. The two of them were we're jawing back and forth uh, each of the past two games. What is Golden State's view from a fan pace uh, point of view of Rajon Rondo right now? Yeah, we do not like Rajon Rondo very much. Uh, I think, you know, in the Golden State uh, kind of sphere, you know, we know Rondo. He's been around uh, and uh, that Mavericks series where he uh where he kind of quit on the team. People reference that a lot. Playoff Rondo was real. We know that. I'm sure y'all have talked about that ad nauseum, but uh, we do also remember him as somebody who uh, attacked Chris Paul earlier in his career, said he ain't even got a ring uh, as a uh, player who is a little bit of a, you know, he gets in, he gets in people's sides and Draymond has been known to be goaded. You know, he's been known to be baited, uh, but, uh, Rondo is also someone Draymond has high respect for. The fan base here knows and listens to Draymond Green. And when Draymond Green said, 
that Rajon Rondo had the highest basketball IQ that he'd seen. You know, that was something where you sit and think as a Warriors fan, as a Warriors media person, wow, let me think about this and really kind of give Rondo his credit because, you know, he does have a ring. Uh, He was instrumental in grabbing that ring and got even better. Those were early seasons for him, got even better with the Celtics as time went on. 21 assists. On Friday, I mean, tying a playoff career high, like how's that even possible with 10 rebounds, the double-double with assists and rebounds? That's just, uh, that's special. That's, uh, you know, he, he's obviously important for the New Orleans Pelicans, uh, not just because of what he does on the court, but also because he can be that kind of tiny enforcer who gets in people's faces and uh, rattles cages. And so that's invaluable on a team. Draymond is definitely the player that the Warriors count on for that. Been getting in Blake Griffin's head since 2012. Uh, But um, yeah, a lot of respect for Rondo, but also a lot of disdain. Yeah, one of the quotes from Nikola Meritich, and there were several in regards to Rajon Rondo. He said he says things to AD and to everybody, really, and he has some really good messages. I think once he says something, you go back home and you don't want to think about it, but it's still in your head. So too, Ali, Draymond Green has an equal effect to the Warriors. And I think there's something other than these guys doing the little things. Of course, he mentioned the 21 assists, 10 rebounds, Rajon Rondo. Draymond Green's had nearly a triple-double in each of these contests. Rajon Rondo only had four points. These guys don't really need to score baskets. They do everything else like Draymond Green defending Anthony Davis so well in games one and game two but not not only is this conflict a sort of controversy for each opposing fan bases I think there there might be something he uh Lico was mentioning intelligence and what this does these guys you know taking the onus on themselves in the spotlight is it takes pressure off the other guys Drew Holiday Anthony Davis guys who don't like to talk so much and Steph Curry Clay Thompson Kevin Durant guys who didn't enjoy their best shooting night talk about Draymond Green from a, a I guess an intelligence point of view, why he does what he does and why he might actually be very in control of his emotions, even though it doesn't appear that way on television. Sure. Steve Kerr's repeated it over the years and he had to do it again, surprisingly uh, in this series when somebody asked him about it. And that is what is, what does Draymond Green mean to these wars? And obviously he replied that he's the heart, you know, he's what makes them go. He's what makes them tick. And so when you've got that, person who's essentially they're kind of not only a leader but he's the one that sets such a big example is the one that's always going to be outspoken at the forefront you name it um he's obviously going to be involved in a lot of confrontations and especially when you're the world champs everybody's going to be gunning for you so essentially rondo's gunning for draymond he's trying to challenge him he's trying to get into his game or in his head play some mind games uh simply because that's what competitors do at this level They look for any kind of whatever advantage they can possibly find when you can just throw off your opponent just by a little bit. You can affect his focus just a little bit. That in turn could, you know, possibly result in a potential stealing of a victory. So you can understand why Ronda's going that route, but also there's more to it than that. Um, You know, reportedly, and I didn't honestly know this, but I've just heard that Rondo's essentially also sticking up a little bit for one of his old teammates, Paul Pierce, where there was a confrontation between Paul Pierce and uh, Draymond, where he essentially really slammed him and then also in the media as well. So Rondo, as we know, he's always, always going to stick up for everybody he's ever liked in his career. Um, And for a guy that admitted to us, he went to KG University. 
what that means is he's going to also be outspoken. So it's not a surprise to see what he's done in this series. But as for Draymond, again, it, he's always done this. He's always carried this cloak ever since Mark Jackson threw him into the starting lineup. He kind of just took this role by its reins. And so it's now now he's at the forefront again. And you know what? He's hating it. Um, these last couple of days here in New Orleans, he's talked about to the reporters how he's being the one baited, that he hasn't done anything. Interestingly, I don't think the video clips agree. So even though he maybe hasn't been as baiting as hard as Rondo, for instance, like trying to step on his shoe kind of or something like that, to start two of those three games, though, I feel like it was Draymond that kind of instigated things. When you look at the first game, where in halftime, or right before halftime, those two started jawing at each other. But before the camera got to them, reportedly Draymond Green was the one that kind of was yelling, screaming, and Rondo kind of was just in the area. So naturally he responded. And then, of course, um, in the next game, um, or excuse me, it was yesterday's game, that uh, Rondo, it was they were going in the first time out, I think, of the game. And so he was just trying to shoot a practice shot from three-point range, but Draymond wasn't letting him. So again, even though Draymond's been complaining to the media, he hasn't been doing any baiting yet. Honestly, these guys are both instigators, you know, and, and you know, the video doesn't lie. So it, it's it's really a non-affair, honestly, Preston, because it hasn't led anything. And that's the key to take from this, even though the national media is really trying to create this narrative that there's something going on here. But until it affects the game, until these guys actually get blown for technicals, maybe one gets in foul trouble and has to sit on the bench. It, otherwise, it's just a non-issue because it hasn't affected the game. It's just a game within a game amongst two of the hardest competitors in the league, both from from both of the guys. I agree. Know? Yeah, let me just follow. I agree, this Ali. And sorry, go ahead, Ali. Go. I just I do want to mention really quick: Draymond Green goaded into seven turnovers. Uh, you know, so obviously both instigators, but uh, Rondo got the best of that matchup on Friday. In game. Yeah. Draymond got the best of him because guess who had seven turnovers himself? Rondo. <laughs> That's right. I, I definitely want to argue another aspect to this, um, and I'll follow this up with Aliko. I think you can argue in game one and game two, Draymond Green was outperforming Anthony Davis. And the reason I want to bring that up is this. I think everybody from the Warriors, not just their their franchise, but also their fan base, recognizes that uh, the, the elite skilled player offensively and defensively for the Pelicans is Anthony Davis. And if anybody for the Pelicans has the power to completely take over this series and reverse its fortunes, it's Anthony Davis. And in game one and game two, uh, whether it be the the leg tackle or just you know the great body-to-body defense Draymond Green was keeping Anthony Davis pretty quiet by by Anthony Davis uh means in regards Anthony Davis somebody who's capable of scoring 40 and 15 four games in a row we've already seen it in the regular season and he was pretty quiet in game one and game two and even through the first half just five of 14 you could see that offensively at least he was struggling and I feel like Rajon Rondo getting into Draymond's face doesn't necessarily uh help the on-ball defense in that regard of Anthony Davis but it takes Draymond Green attention away from Anthony Davis who knows what he's saying to him of course they're good friends of course they play in these all-star games together and the communication lines always stay open but with that being said just taking some of that subliminal messaging time away from Draymond Green giving Anthony Davis the freedom to just relax and play his game do you think that could have any effect that maybe Rajon Rondo is just trying to get Draymond Green outside of Anthony Davis atmosphere oh I think you're absolutely right I think it's worked I think that Rondo is, you know, they're both really smart guys. They're playing chess. They're thinking a few moves ahead. And if Rondo gets Draymond out of his game, it's as 
effective as if Draymond gets Rondo out of that uh, out of his game. That's how important they both are to their teams. Rondo running the uh, the point, and Draymond doing a little bit of everything, running the point a lot of the time, and like you said, playing incredible defense on. Anthony Davis in the first two games but I also think on the flip side Davis is the kind of player that's not going to have three subpar games in a row I uh, predicted that this would be a six game series because Anthony Davis is good enough to beat the the holy uh, the holy hellfire of the Warriors uh, you know at least two times with you know on his own I think he's that good and um, with Rondo getting Draymond out of his out of his element you know it's it's important but Draymond is also going to bounce back I do want to say with Draymond Green he has been absolutely locked in rebounding the ball specifically you mentioned rebounding Ali uh you know a couple of questions ago 54 to 44 uh Pelicans in this game and the Warriors have been absolutely swarming rebounds except for this game um and you know davis was a big reason why uh, obviously getting 18 rebounds on his own but the the whole of the game is 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 such that you're, you're not going to see draymond um allow himself like even even the comments that he's making you know he's trying to get past it he's trying to move past it he's fed up with questions about Rondo he wants to talk about lineups he wants to talk about you know he's mentioning that you know he wants to win a championship that is what is on his mind that's what he's talking to the media about so I don't think that Rondo's uh you know effects will be long term all right. I feel like we could talk about this for an hour, and I'm so sorry, you guys. Uh, I, I've kept you on this for probably about 10 to 15 minutes now, but it's it's just such an interesting subplot. I feel like this series has just taken such a turn behind so many factors, and one of those factors, Ali, is is the play of bench guys like Solomon Hill and Ian Clark. Steve Kerr had a had a quote after, and he's been pretty spot on with all of his quotes. Uh, game two, he said, Clay Thompson, those shots are going to go in a Nolan. Of course, he had 20 points in the second quarter. In regards to Ian Clark, he said, I love Ian. Uh, but I did not expect that. Ian is one of my favorite guys we've ever had here. He played a big role. Salmon Hill hit three threes early. You just don't expect that. The Pelicans had 32 bench points, the most in the playoffs by far, including the four-game sweep over Portland. And, of course, the Warriors only had 20. A lot of that came in garbage time. But, Ali, can we expect the bench to play this well again? No, <laughs> because you just <laughs> said it yourself. They hadn't done it all playoff series. And as we know from watching them during the regular season, it just wasn't their their niche you know they were always kind of the super supporting cast and you were lucky just to get one guy to kind of have a decent game you know whether it was Darius Miller earlier in the year uh to Ian Clark finishing up the regular season with a good you know solid six weeks of play so no Preston easy answer is definitely no but you know what I feel like the part of the problem I want to ask Aliko this is I felt like the Pelicans punched the Golden State Warriors in the mouth in the first quarter, right? They got off to a great start. They hit, started hitting the three ball once, you know, they got past like the three or four first minutes of the game where both teams were kind of out of sync. A lot of bad turnovers, bad shots, but Pelicans started rolling and they knocked the, the uh, Golden State Warriors in the mouth. And what's interesting to me is that all the Warriors, especially Steph Curry, were talking about how important it was to come to game three and kind of do that to the Pelicans, especially in the first quarter. And it's funny that the direct opposite happened, but even more so that they never recovered from it. Now, I know they had that run where in the second quarter, they kind of closed the gap twice, both at the beginning and towards halftime. But again, they never truly 
challenged, um, you know, kind of overtaking the Pelicans in the game and running away with anything. If anything, the Pelicans, once again, in the third quarter, asserted themselves. And the Warriors always seem like a step slow. And I'm just curious why Aliko thinks this. Because you know what? Klay Thompson was bad defensively all game to me. They were bad at chasing Ian Clark more off of screens where they were a step or two slow. Um, didn't do a good job with AD, who honestly should have had a few more dunks in the first quarter had he just caught the ball cleanly. I just, I'm curious why they were that slow. I mean, what's your best guess, Alika? Was it, you know, jet lag, being tired from the playoffs and all the media, or is it just an off game by a team that had won two games in a row? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right about Klay Thompson's defense. Everybody on the perimeter was not closing out on shooters, uh, you know, very well at all and uh, led to six of 10 shooting from three for the Pels in the first quarter. No bueno. Uh, But I think that what you're looking at is the Warriors sometimes get a little bit complacent and Stephen Curry just came back. He had an incredible ovation. Uh, at Oracle, it was magical. First shot comes around two screens. Uh, you know, KD gets him the ball right in the shooter's pocket, buckets. And then, you know, 25 points later, uh, you're looking at, a, you know, a, a Pelican's uh, loss. And the, the, the story is Stephen Curry. The story is Stephen Curry magic. And so I think that the Warriors might have wanted to hold on to that feeling a little bit more. And they, Step, they, they took their foot off the gas pedal a little bit. Curry uh, took six shots in the first quarter, only made one. So that magic kind of fizzled out. And even though KD was very good, everybody else was a step slow, like you said. Uh, they didn't come out with the fire. And I think the biggest part of that is that uh, Steph did not get out, get off to a good start. And credit the Pelicans for. Uh, changing their uh, defensive scheme, swarming him a little bit, and um, ma- making him more of a volume shooter. Aliko, actually, I'll throw this over to Ali first. Um, obviously, this this game is going to be much more competitive than Game 3. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows. Alvin Gentry even said uh, during the press game, he said, we're going to expect uh, the hardest game we're going to have to fight all year. We already mentioned the bench isn't going to play as well as they did in Game 3. We already mentioned that there's going to be some tinkering with JaVale McGee. He'll probably get... Fewer minutes, we'll probably see a bit more of Andre Iguodala initially. One thing that we don't know whether or not we'll see, and I have to mention, I apologize for bringing it up because it it is uh, pretty much a a sore topic among Pelicans fans. I I imagine the Warriors haven't seen this stat line as much as Pelicans fans have, but still 85 to 32, 26 to 12. That was the free throw disparity in game three. Now, obviously, the counter argument to that that I discussed last night with Kevin Berrios is that the Warriors know how to get fouled while in the act of shooting, and the Pelicans don't necessarily attack it as well. Well, like Rajan Rondo and Nikola Miritich both had defenders leave their feet while they were behind the three-point line and had every opportunity to just lean into them and throw up a bad shot and get three shots, and they didn't. Instead, they took it off the dribble, and they they got a better shot, and in some instances, they distributed points to other guys. But, Ali, game four, one advantage the Pelicans are going to need is at the charity stripe. Do you think this ever evens out in this series? No, honestly, not 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 for the series especially, but you're just hoping to – stay within the same neighborhood for one game or two. And you know what? I rewatched that game because it's hard to, when you're at the game, of course, and notice everything. So in rewatching it, I'll be honest with you. I honestly felt like the words either got away with or had the benefit of a few calls. And you know what? Everybody's got to expect this. Not only is it for partially what you said, Preston, that they're just a better, more experienced in team on knowing how and when to draw fouls. I also want to say that this is just exactly what happens to when you're a champion. 
I mean, we've seen it with previous, you know, almost dynasties or whatever you want to call it. Teams that were at the top and stayed at the top for a while. Because I remember watching years and years of the Michael Jordan Bulls and you name it, all of his competitors, you know, going back to Lakers, Celtics, you name it. Everybody technically kind of gets almost a little bit more benefit of the call because you're a good team. So the referees are kind of not, I don't want to say favor you or have a bias, but it, it just works out like that. Like, for instance, let's talk about in the first quarter, Drew Holiday and Clay Thompson going up for a rebound. And you know what? On replay, they're both battling. But because of the way Clay kind of landed off balance, and I don't know whether he kind of faked that landing a little bit or not, but Scott Foster, who called the foul, he, he didn't have a good angle on it. And he only saw kind of Clay Thompson's reaction uh, to that contact and going for the rebound. Of course, he called a foul on Drew who was shocked, surprised, and it got Alvin Gentry upset. Towards the end of the first quarter, Kevin Durant takes a drive. He used his left arm for, you know, kind of creating some uh, space between he and uh, Drew Holiday. And, you know, that should have been an offensive foul. Didn't get called again. And there was just a few more instances. Like, for instance, Kevin Durant kind of got bailed out on a call in the second half on shooting the jumper. That's where he tried to take Drew off the dribble. But if you watch closely, Drew's, you know, holds his ground, moves his feet, excellent, cuts him off to a position. And then uh, Kevin Durant creates the contact. But you know what? Drew doesn't ever once lean into him. Kevin leans into him, and he gets the benefit of the call. So, again, it's it's what I'm kind of talking about. They're going to get that tendency of the benefit of a lot of these calls. And so you can't truly press and expect for the Pelicans to ever, you know, beat the Pelicans – or, excuse me, beat the Warriors from the free throw line in terms of attempts uh, for an advantage. You know, I'm just not seeing it. After watching that game closely again, um, it's just not going to happen. You just have to hope that they stay in a neighborhood, that AD honestly even takes it that much harder uh, through the paint because it's, that's what it's going to take. It's going to take trying to dunk over guys, um, just going through contact that is so obvious that the Pelicans or the referees have no choice but to call it on behalf of the Pelicans. All right, Aliko, let's follow this up with you. This question, of course, is from Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 11. Uh, I know that the Warriors, uh, by talking to Tim Karangis and Andy Liu, have been the benefit and the whistles have gone against them in previous weeks. Uh, is, is this something that you've come to expect in the playoffs, getting the benefit of the whistle, or is this an aberration? It's definitely an aberration. Absolutely. Uh, during the regular season, uh, Warriors fans, certainly uh, this is water cooler talk that that happens quite often, feel that Stephen Curry doesn't get the benefit of the doubt enough with the whistle. Uh, and he, you know, obviously goes into the lane quite often to avoid contact. And, you know, I think that's the, why he doesn't get the whistle is because he's trying to get a good shot up. He's not trying to get contact, get hit. Uh, he's, you know, not injury prone, but, you know, we're not trying to have him be knocked around like a, like a Westbrook or a, or a, or a James Harden. But um, in this series specifically, I was extremely surprised at Anthony Davis's low uh, numbers of shots from the line. Uh, I, I know that he's more so a perimeter player, which is why it's easier for the Warriors to get into a groove against them when they're playing small, but uh, he's so powerful. And I just, uh, I, I'm surprised when uh, he doesn't put the ball on the floor and, uh, you know, not just powerful, but also skilled can finish with the left or the right. You know, he's got, good footwork uh and 
you know, he's he's just he's bigger and stronger than everybody that the Warriors can put out there, bigger, stronger and faster. And so uh, that he only shot three free throws in uh, the in the in game uh, three, even with the win was very surprising to me. Uh, you know, KD's going to get his Clay Thompson doesn't go to the line very often, but, uh, you know, KD is is especially in the playoffs going to get his it was a surprise that clay thompson went to the line honestly five times but all five of those came in his incendiary second quarter so uh, you know you're gonna as a warrior fan take it you're gonna take the good and uh, leave the bad behind Uh, but i don't expect that the warriors will continue to shoot 25 plus free throws in the next uh you know few games Anthony Davis has seven free throw attempts in three games. His regular season average was eight per game. So uh, definitely not something that the Pelicans fans are too fond of right now. I've got two questions for Ali, but let's go ahead and wrap up with Aliko. Uh, obviously, this this game is everything for the Pelicans. The Pelicans cannot afford to lose game four. Uh, it's too much to ask for the Pelicans to be able to, to go back and, and steal game five and game seven. The Pelicans absolutely have to take care of business at home. Do you think they can do it? I absolutely think they can do it. I think Anthony Davis is that good. I think Drew Holiday has been probably one of the top three best guards in these playoffs so far. Uh, Playoff Rondo is real. We know this. ESPN just came out with a great article uh, proving statistically how real uh, Playoff Rondo actually is. And then everybody else has to step up. There has to be that, like you were talking about before, Miritich, but also the bench has to step up and be very good on the offensive end because that's how you're going to win uh defensively you're not going to stop the warriors two games in a row i just don't think that they're going to shoot 38 percent from the field uh 29 from three you know two games in a row that just doesn't happen uh, to this team at full strength so it's got to be offensively just out shoot them uh you know have those threes uh you know reigning you know just making sure that uh you can you can hang because the the reality is that uh, the Warriors are going to come out firing. This is Aliko Carter, the host to Locked On Warriors. Go ahead and tell them again where they can follow you. You can follow me at Locked On Dubs and at Kojitari. That's K O G I T A R E on Twitter. All right, thank you so much for your time, sir. We're going to continue on here with Ali Cosell, so feel free to hang around if you want. If you want to head out of here, you will not offend us. Ali, first up, I'm going to ask you a question from at. Uh, M. Tooman, thank you again for all the questions, you guys. We appreciate it so much. You make our job much easier. And he's uh, referencing the plus minus of the Pelicans' big three, Rajon Rondo, Anthony Davis, and Drew Holiday had uh, plus 24 over 23, and everyone else was 10 points worse. The Pelicans are still being led by these guys, even with the big benchmark uh, performances from Ian Clark and Solomon Hill. It it just seems like to M. Tooman, we're living on the edge. Do the Pelicans need a more balanced attack? Oh, of course they need a more balanced one, Preston, but you're not going to get it. I mean, as we just mentioned, the bench, it can't be relied to be there every game, game in, game out. That's why David Grubb set kind of that 25-point bar for them. If they can exceed it, it gives the Pelicans a great chance to win. Uh, We've seen it time and again throughout the season that the starters, especially once Miritich joined them, when the starters, um, when they're functioning and running up to their, you know, abilities, they have no problems throwing up 80 to 100 points. Problem is getting anything else from the reserve. So, like, like, like I guess Tuman says, the uh, balance would be nice, but God, we cannot expect it. Nor I think the coaching staff does. That's why you see all these huge minutes for all the Pelicans players 
you know, pretty much since like, what was it about three weeks left in the regular season on when every game kind of became almost must win. So while it'd be nice Preston, though, you can't expect it at all. I definitely want to continue with uh, the Pelicans defensive game plan, something that was talked to Alvin Gentry after post game. And he had a, he had a funny quote saying, I'm not going to tell you that, but before I get to that, I, I just, I can't stop. <laughs> Sorry. Do- Go ahead. <laughs> Uh, I just can't stop talking about Darius Miller, Ali. I just, I expect so much more from him. I want him to be aggressive. I love his shot. I love his, his offensive game. Whenever the starters exited and Darius Miller had the opportunity to just play his game, he nailed a, a nice, I think it was a fadeaway three-point shot. It was a contested shot, but it still went in. It was beautiful. We love him being aggressive, and yet we're just not seeing it. And the Pelicans need it from him. They need bench scoring. They need him to be aggressive. They need him to take shots. What What is the problem, Ali? What can be done to give this guy the confidence to just shoot and and pull the trigger nothing it's just confidence within the player himself you can see it when in the and what was it i can't remember if it was game one or game two but david west he faked out david west on the perimeter took one dribble to the right rose up to shoot and guess what david west a guy that's close to what is it 38 years of age uh got over back in time recovered and blocked the shot Darius miller is one of the slowest releases in the league press and that's a big problem um, so he's not able to get his shot off of people, get around them and rise up quickly, especially over those quick athletic wing types. That's why he always, almost always, uh, doesn't release the ball, shoot the ball unless he's wide open. And yeah, that's a problem. But again, that stems from confidence. And so if you don't have the confidence of in yourself of, you know, utilizing maybe a ball fake or two, which he does a great job, right? He'll, he'll throw up some ball fakes and we see him get that defensive assignment up in the air. And, of course, then he's got a wide-open lane. And sometimes he'll take advantage of it. He'll dribble down in there. But oftentimes it's just to create for somebody else. You never see him, you know, try and really, you know, then attack the glass, attack the rim for a score. Because that's just not who he is. That's not, you know, watching him over in Europe and even before when he was with, uh, the, you know, back then the New Orleans Horns, he, he never had that aggressive style of play, you know. So, Preston, it's just something that you hope that develops. But it's not going to happen anytime soon. And with so many games under his belt this season and the fact it's been so hit or miss and usually on the miss side in terms of his confidence levels. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm with you. I I wish and you can see the glimmers of potential of being something more, but it's just not something we can rely on or really harp on him over at this stage in the game, in the playoffs. You know, he is who he is. And until he just develops that demeanor, the confidence, whatever the mentality that, hey, I'm a good scorer, but if I can't get past you with my speed or my jumping ability, I'll at least burn you like, say, Manu Ginobili style. I'll outwit you. And he's got to figure out one of those things to, you know, basically get him to that next level where he can feel like he can get off his shot against anybody. So until he does that, no, he's just going to be this guy who's really only going to take those wide open jumpers. All right, I apologize. We haven't given enough due credit to to our starting five, Nikola Meritich, Anthony Davis, Etwan Moore, Rajon Rondo, Drew Holiday, all these guys putting up otherworldly numbers. Etwan Moore with staggering defense now two games in a row. I don't think he gets enough credit. Rajon Rondo, of course, 21 assists. The last person to do that, you guessed it, Rajon Rondo in 2012. Anthony Davis put up numbers that only Sean Marion has done in the last 14 years. So we haven't been giving these guys enough credit. There's so much to talk about. We simply just expect it of them at this point, and that's how spoiled 
thrilled we are uh, at this point in time. Ali, one thing that I do want to address with you uh, about the defensive game plan and Alvin Gentry, I felt like, and we've already talked about this at nauseum, I felt like by inserting JaVale McGee, they played right into the Pelicans' hands. The one thing the Warriors can do better than the Pelicans is go small, and they didn't do that, and it allowed the Pelicans to play incredible defense on guys like Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Kevin Durant, and really minimalize those guys and take away their three-point shooting. Do you think that this was the the large uh, the large tipping point towards the Pelicans getting set defensively, or do you think they've discovered something that could carry over into Game Four? They discovered something, Preston. What I, I think I'm going to write about it on it a little bit is the fact that they've stole a page out of the Golden State Warriors' hands, where they're basically forcing the non uh, shooters, the non aggressive, you know, especially the perimeter jump shooters, to beat them. You know what I saw time and again yesterday is they left Sean Livingston, Andre Godala, all the bigs, uh, pretty much wide open. And these guys, instead of attacking the rim like they should, honestly, were just, especially Andre Godala, it was very noticeable. He'd catch it, take a couple of dribbles in the paint. You know what? He could have gone up and probably attempted to score and would have had a, gotten off a decent shot, but every time he just looked to kick it out. Uh, that's kind of what the, you know, the Warriors have been doing to us all, all series until the Pelicans made him pay for it in game three. Uh, as to where you know you play, you really sag off of Rajon Rondo. You you even like dare Anthony Davis to shoot those threes, um, and whoever else that the Pelicans don't. I mean, outside of each one more Rajon Rondo, they were even daring Drew Holiday. They were going under screens out of him consistently, uh, and and we saw it. What was it? He he was two of nine, I think, in game two because they gave him the three point ball, and and yeah, he kept on shooting it, and he didn't make it. So it's kind of a uh, you know basically beat me, uh, prove it to me that I should guard you. And I feel like the Pelicans did that defensively in game three as to where, you know, and you've, you've mentioned this person on the pods earlier, each one more has done a fantastic job of chasing Clay Thompson around uh, for three games. And so we've seen that now they've been chasing around Steph Curry Drew holiday has done an amazing, amazing job on Kevin Durant. And so that's what they're doing. They're playing up in the face of these three guys, but they're leaving Draymond green, Andre Iguodala, Sean Livingston, like I said, giving them lots and lots of airspace just so they can give out help on the shooters. And you know what? It worked like a charm in game three. I got to ask you, Ali, and I'm totally uh, willing to accept the humiliation if I've been doing this wrong. I've been saying Rajan. You've been saying Rajan. Which one of us is doing this incorrectly? Sorry, it's Rajan. Okay. Okay. Thank goodness. I, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad That's, that it wasn't me. <laughs> no, it's my habit. Yeah, I've, I've had that habit of saying Rajan. No, it's Rajan. Rajan. I really am honestly asking, too, for our listeners, because I referred to Ali Cosell by the wrong name or or mispronounced it for probably about three months. And I was talking to Brett Dawson, and I can't remember specifically if I did it incorrectly now or uh, I Andre Roberson. I can't remember if it's Roberson, but he corrected me in the middle of a podcast. So this is something that I tend to do from time to time. Ali, let's wrap up. Let's send you back to Margaritaville. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's time to get a prediction. Uh, like I was just saying, to Aliko, the Pelicans need game four. Do you think they get it? It's a coin flip at best for me. I know that the Warriors are going to give the Pelicans their best shot. Um, there's no way on earth are these guys going to miss as many shots as they took. But you know what? You also can't rely on them to run such a stagnant offense. I asked uh, Alvin this today, and of course he didn't give me an answer because when you ask the guy anything technical in the series, he's not going to divulge any secrets. But I asked him, the Warriors had been averaging about 360 passes in the first two games. It, that number dropped all the way down to, I want to say, around 290. And, you know, it showed up when you looked at it with the uh, your own eyes. They were just shooting a lot of ISO shots, 
Steph Curry was just dribbling around, launching one. Same thing with Kevin Durant. Just trying to go a lot of one-on-one. So you can't expect that to happen. You're going to – you have to think that they're going to get in a better rhythm so their jump shooters are going to get hit more in stride. And one of those three is going to have to go off. And I'm expecting two of them to be kind of clicking from the outside. Um, That's just how it works with really great shooters. And that's how the Warriors – honestly, Preston, what have we seen over the years? That's honestly how it works with these guys, man. Two of those guys, you can count them to almost push, you know, 30 points. So – Pelicans are going to get that shot. And so what you've got to hope for is the Pels at least come out and score 120. Um, I don't know how they do it. Can they rely on that three ball going down like they did in game three? You can't rely on it, but you kind of hope it's there. And if that's not going to be it, then you really got to hope for the fast break points or maybe the points in the paint. Somewhere they're going to have to get that and make up a difference and gain that huge advantage on the Warriors. Um, But, you know, I don't want to pick against them, Preston, but I honestly feel like maybe the Warriors – should get the slight nod here just simply because you're going to get that championship. We got kind of embarrassed mentality, uh, everything stemming from game three. You could see it in their eyes and I watched them in practice today. And you know what? I think Kevin Durant maybe missed two of like a hundred shots. <laughs> I mean, I know it's practice, but my God, he, he's just so good. And clay was working really hard on catching shoots, running off all sorts of screens. He was really intent and focused. And this was just practice. So I think, like I said, they're going to get their best shot or give their best shot against the Pelicans. And they're going to have to come up with their best effort of the the whole playoffs, I think, to pull out a win. What about gonna, you? Give me your, your prediction, buddy. I'm, I'm going to go the other way, and I'm going to do this in support of Kevin Berrios, who's working today. Uh, I think the Pelicans should have won game two, to be quite frank. And Kevin Berrios, I know, echoes those sentiments. And, of course, there's the free throw disparity. But even despite that, I think the Pelicans are have figured out something. I think game one kind of took them by surprise. And we didn't see the Pelicans that we've we've come to know and love over the past two weeks. And that's kind of a, a skewed our, our point of view on this series because we remember that thrashing, and it hasn't been affecting us going forward at this point in time just looking at game two and game three I think it's easy to argue that the Pelicans are playing better basketball at this point and the free throw disparity has been something that's loomed so large over the Pelicans at this point in time you have to just It's going to return to the mean at some point, not overall the series as a whole, but just in some instance, the Pelicans are going to need the benefit of those trips to the charity stripe, and it's going to mean a game. And I think it's going to mean game four because with the way the Pelicans have been turning up the notch defensively, with the way the intensity that Rajon Rondo has been bringing to these guys, you can see the confidence that it gives to Drew Holiday early on in the first quarter. And I think you referenced this earlier uh, in, in the episode. Drew Holiday got a bad call. It was a bad call. There's no arguing it in the, in the first six minutes. Yeah, and you could see you could see the emotion running away with him. He did that kind of thing that sometimes gets called for a technical in the NBA where a guy runs away from a call with his hands up in the air, and sometimes it rubs officials the wrong way. And if you get a technical free throw there, it can it can stay with you. But with some of the stuff that Rajon Rondo has been doing, keeping these guys calm, keeping these guys in check, it's just hard right now to convince me that whatever the Warriors give to the Pelicans at this point, the Pelicans won't in turn respond to it. And with that being said, I think the Smoothie King Center is, is going to lead these guys to victory. And I think the free throws are going to play a large part. I definitely think it's going to be a slugfest because we cannot expect Ian Clark and Solomon Hill to combine for 27 points. So that's not going to happen. But with that being said, the Pelicans are playing as good as this team. And I think it's a toss-up at this point. So, you know, being the Pelicans homer that I am, I think the Pelicans survive this one, and then we go out to game five. And Oh, I hope you're right. I really do. I, I hate picking against them too, Preston, but I just feel like, you know, something's telling me. Listen to your brain instead of your heart, so... <laughs> Well, to be quite honest, you're usually right about this stuff. No disrespect to Kevin, but you you usually have a really good pulse on this stuff. So 
Uh, it's 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 a hey, dark. One thing I want to mention is you were talking about Drew Holiday not getting calls. How about the fact that we? I don't know if you mentioned it on yes last night's reaction pod, but what about Lauren Holiday tweeting out? How about some calls or something? Oh like yeah, that? yeah. <laughs> I did mention that on the pod with Kevin because as she tweeted it, somebody from the Pelicans or or I guess from ESPN must have caught wind of it because they put the camera on her just two minutes later, and she had the phone in her hand. And I wondered to myself, what is she gonna what is she gonna tweet into the the Twitterverse next if Drew Holiday continues? <laughs> He was getting uh, this negative whistle, but that that was a great moment, and it's nice. Uh, I know we've seen Aisha Curry get involved uh, in in previous postseasons. It's it's nice to see these guys, Tom Brady's wife Giselle, get get involved. You know, show their dismay because we're just fans. But imagine being a family member and and seeing some of these calls go against somebody that you love and care for, and and the passion, the frustration that must come along with that. So that was a great moment. It's nice to see him. It's nice to see uh, his daughter sitting courtside. That that nice story they had about him looking out to them and it giving him the confidence that he needed Mm -hmm. to come out and play some of his best basketball. So truly great storylines all around with these Pelicans. And I'm just not ready for it to end, Ollie. And of course, uh, everybody knows by now I've purchased tickets to game six. And should the Pelicans win this game, I can punch my ticket to that game. So a a lot of this is, is selfish hope. Uh, let's go ahead and wrap it up. Ali, I'm going to give you an avenue to close us out. Uh, let's go ahead and thank Aliko Carter once again of Locked On Warriors. You can follow him at Locked On Dubs. And Ali Cosell, of course, our editor-in-chief of thebirdrights.com. Tomorrow we'll be back. We'll be recapping postgame with a special guest. Hopefully, Ali and Kevin will be able to join us. Uh, Aliko plugged himself, so you guys make sure you go over and follow him and get some of his best warrior takes. Before we go, Ali, um, you've already given us your prediction. You were at practice. I know you've got a lot cooking in that old noggin of yours. Tell us a bit about what you might be writing in advance of tomorrow's game. Sure. I've got a small piece just kind of looking at, and you know what surprised me is nobody really talked about, but the Pelicans beating the uh, Warriors by 19 points. That's honestly their fifth, ties them for the fifth worst loss of the season, playoffs and regular season combined. And when you look at advanced stats, it's even more uh, dominant as to where it's like their third most disappointing loss. The only team, there was only one team that uh, embarrassed them more, and it was the Utah Jazz and two wins earlier in the regular season. So I'm just looking at that angle, and I want to just, I'm curious to see if that means anything. You look at kind of, I'm looking at what the Warriors did in the very next game. Uh, just looking for some kind of hidden meaning also with, you know, overall stats in the NBA, how teams have fared that have come back from, you know, say they were up to nothing. Then they suffer a really bad loss. I'm just curious to see what the stats say about what happens in game four. Definitely. And just uh, in terms of the Portland Trailblazers, uh, game four, a lot closer than game three. Uh, I'm not ready for the slipper to drop just yet. I'm not ready for Cinderella's story to end. I, I want the Pelicans to keep pushing through. There's no guarantee that they can ever find their way to the Rockets. In fact, ESPN has already started advertising for the Western Conference Finals <laughs> between the Houston Rockets and the Golden State Warriors uh, during the 76ers uh, Celtics clash right now. Sorry, what were you saying, Ali? Said, of course, man, of course. Yeah, so everybody knows uh, the the foreboding, uh, I don't know, game six or game seven or game five. Nobody's expecting the Pelicans to advance. Not even we are. You can hear it in our voices. But with that being said, I think the Pelicans belong in this series. I think they belong in game four. And I know Ollie's got his fingers crossed. I know Kevin's listening. He's got fingers crossed. Uh, everybody going to Smoothie King Center, make a lot of noise. Uh, it seems like our guys are going to need it. So let's let's pack this place. Let's get DJ Jubilee in there with another great, stunning uh, halftime show. Big props to the to the marketing team for getting these guys in there. Uh, you know, uh, Juvenile and Manny Fresh. Um, it's it's just been just been a delight to witness and be a part of. So hopefully it keeps going. I'm Preston Ellis. Let's go, Pels. 
We hope you've enjoyed listening to the bird calls on OTG and Nothing But Net here on Dash Radio. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's consider the secret life of the innermost nesting doll. Living most of her life in the dark inside the other nesting dolls, she has plenty of time to think, if she could. Sadly, she has no brain. However, when an innermost nesting doll hears that Geico not only saves people money, but also has been providing great service for over 75 years, she thinks it's obvious you should switch. Because yes, switching to Geico is a no-brainer. Pity the innermost nesting doll and her lot in life. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm-mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.